Thank you for joining us this morning. I'm excited about turning our hearts to God's word. And I want to begin by um, starting with a confession to you this morning. And, and don't judge me too harshly for this. But um, I, some of you have experienced this before. You know, I go, go into Target because I want some stuff, right? Like you go into Target expecting to get some stuff. And it's amazing when you go into Target that uh, you see all this other stuff that you realize that you needed after you get in there, right? Can anybody relate to this, right? The, you had your list and now you've got all this other stuff. Now, now, by way of confession, I am sincere about this. I'm not making light of this, that there are times in my life, this isn't every time I'm in Target, but there are times in my life when there's something that happens when I'm like, hey, I'd like to have that and I don't want to pay for it. And so the thought goes through my mind. First of all, I think, well, they got a lot of stuff at Target. They don't, we wouldn't notice if this is gone or I'm sure Mr. Target wouldn't be upset. He's, he's wealthy, right? I don't know if that's a thing, but I'm just going to say that. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm guessing that, that their, their exit strategy would be such that I could probably get out of here without even getting in trouble. Like my, my mind goes there. Now, I don't need to steal that thing. I don't. But, but my mind goes there, and, and my mind rationalizes those things. In fact, um, I'm not the only person, apparently, that thinks that way at times, or that's tempted in that way, or has an appetite to take what hasn't been given to me. According to a 2020 survey, annually, $20 billion worth of things are stolen from stores, not just Target, but that comes down to like $40,000 a minute, Okay. And I want you to think about that statistic. So, so people are walking in and they are deciding that it is better for them to take this thing than to pay for it. To, to do what we're going to see this as one of the 10 things that are listed in Corinthians that Paul is saying about the church. That he's saying, like, you aren't supposed to do this. And yet people justify doing this at such a rate. And there was a really fascinating thing about that study. Lots of, of details about people who take things or people like me who are tempted to, to take things. Don't worry, I don't do it. You don't have to turn me in. But, but, um, but I'm saying to you that that's an appetite for me. I'm not proud of this. I'm not glorifying this. But they said this in that same study from last year. They said that about three-fourths of the people who take things did not pre plan on it. Like, it was just a moment that happened. They're, they're in that moment, and then they decide, oh, oh I'm just going to take this. And I find that to be really fascinating because in, the, in, in biblical language, we're going to call that a temptation. Well, we're going to say that that's an appetite that we have. And today, as we study God's word, he's going to talk about a lot of things that were, as Christ followers, things that were a part of what we were at what time. He's going to talk about these temptations that were common to people who are before they became Christ followers. And I'll remind you of the simple truth that keeps showing up in this book. And that is, before you're a Christ follower, God says to us, come as you are. He's not saying you got to have it all cleaned up. He's not saying you have to have it all figured out. He's not saying that your Bible has to be all marked up and there's nothing wrong. In fact, he's saying, come as you are. I came to seek and to save that which was lost, right? That's what he says. But as Christ followers, he's going to say to us over and over again, but don't stay as you are. 
That, that you were bought with a price. That there's a desire for you to experience, not, not to have things stolen away from you, not to be restricted from freedom, which actually the church in Corinth is gonna act like these are restrictions that God's placed on it. Actually, I believe what the Lord wants to do for each and every one of us, please hear this this morning, is he wants us to experience the joy of a life that's satisfied. He wants us to experience the fullness of not having appetites that we're constantly trying to satisfy that can't be fed by feeding them, but instead that we understand that his grace is sufficient, that his desire is for us to be filled with him. And so we come to Christ as we are, but we should not stay as we are. We've been blessed to become something new. And I'll just tell you in my own life why I do this, why, why I'm committed to this in my own life. is because God says I shouldn't. <laughs> it's because I want to honor him in my life. It's because I trust that he knows what is best for me. And, and I love the way that Diedrich Bonhoeffer puts it, this amazing man in the history of Germany, that he, he says this powerfully. He talks about joy killers. And he talks about these 10 sins that we're going to look at today, that they're, they're not ranked on a scale of what's gross or grosser or what's, what's more. He's just going to say to us, he's going to remind us that there are things that we have appetites for. And when we give into those things, that they have the potential of destroying the joy that's in our life. He says it this way. He says, with irresistible power, desire seizes his his language for what I'm calling a temptation or an appetite is desire. Desire seizes mastery over the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and it is in flames. It makes no difference whether it's a sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money or finally that strange desire for the beauty of the world or of nature. Joy in God is extinguished in us when we seek all our joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and only desire for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and will of man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and decision are taken away from us. I, I want you to know as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please turn with me in your Bibles there. We're going to pick up in verse 8. As we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 8, the topics that are discussed here have been abused by the church at times, by people in the church. In fact, when we lived in the Bahamas, there was one section of this passage of scripture that was up on a billboard and it was, it was just written in such a way that it was filled with hate and it had nothing to do with Paul's part in the way he describes this. Paul's going to challenge us in this passage that God has things that are right and are wrong. They're very blunt. They're very clear. And some of those things are going to shock you. Like one of them is going to be the way a person uses their tongue. <laughs> that it's, it's going to say that there's ways that we use our tongue to speak and to destroy other people. And he's going to say that that's wrong. He's going to talk about thieves, like stealing things that God hasn't given to us. He's going to talk about how we use our sexuality. And, and as he talks about these things, there's no order. He's not ranking them as higher than, he's not going to call one grosser than the other. He's actually just going to say to us, this is what you were before the blood of Christ cleansed you. And if you keep acting like that, you're doing something that's very dangerous in the Christian life. That's what you were. 
And so as we study this passage today, for those of you who aren't believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, I just want to encourage you that somewhere along the line, there's been a myth that's crept in that, that you come to Jesus cleansed before coming to Christ, that you get your act together. And hey, nobody in this room that calls himself a Christ follower had their act together before they came to Christ. I, I can tell you that. I, I'm the, the chief of that. That, that, that it wasn't that we somehow got purified to a point where we're cleansed enough that finally we're, we're in. But instead, what, it, what we recognize is the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Praise the Lord for that. That's the gospel, that he died on the cross so that we can have new life. But what's happening in the church then and what's happening in the church today is that those values of the world that are commonplace have crept into the church. And in fact, what people are going to argue, we're going to see their slogans and their mindset, and, and we're going to see them say, because Jesus died for me, I can live however I want. And what Paul's challenging this church that he loves is he says, no way. That's, that's not what I've designed, what God's designed for you. He's designed for you to experience the joy of the Lord and fulfilling and attempting to give into those appetites. It doesn't make them go away. <laughs> Feeding those appetites doesn't make them end, but instead I want to share with you how you can have victory over those struggles and temptations that are part of our life. So this passage of scripture at times has been confused. It has been abused. Uh, I want to remind you that this is an as we were, not as we are. And for the non-believer, this is a message of redemption. And I hope you're here. I hope you hear this. I hope you pay attention to God's grace that is sufficient for us. But for those of us who are believers and we are attempting still to measure our holiness to a world that's around us that doesn't carry the same values, uh, that there is a warning that's inherent in this passage. And, and we're going to see the first point this morning that comes directly out of the text is believers are a new creation. Praise the Lord for that. But we can still have old and dangerous appetites. I shared with you that one little appetite, but I want to make sure that you understand the difference between an appetite or a temptation and for sin. Uh, if we could crawl into every person's heart and mind in this room, there are things that you're tempted in that you would be ashamed of if other people saw it. Uh, that is definitely the case for me. There's things that are, that are temptations, but it's very important for us to understand the distinction between temptations and for us to understand the gift of understanding that God has given us victory over those temptations and that we don't have to give in to those. And those are very different than our understanding of sin. Verse Verse eight begins with this. It says, but you yourselves, this is present tense. This is, this is a, a statement about what is happening with them. You wrong and defraud even your own brothers. He's speaking to Christians here. And last week we talked about lawsuits and some of the, the strife that was within that church. And here he's saying that you are willing to steal something away from even your Christian brothers and sisters. Later, We'll see that there was some confusion around the Lord's table and there were some economic challenges that they had in that community. But Paul's going to describe it as them stealing, thieving from one another, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's a very important phrase. It's a, it's a warning. What he's saying is for those who have not been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that have not accepted Christ, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That before you cannot do enough to earn your salvation, but instead it is through the grace of God that we earn this. It doesn't matter how good you are. 
that God's grace is the only thing that allows us to anticipate the reality of heaven. So do you not know that the, those who um, are unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And, and I just want to gently remind you that God knows that each one, for each one of us that temptation in our life is inevitable. It's fascinating. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this in verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Uh, when we say, Lord, do not lead us into temptation, there's a part of this just saying, Lord, do not allow us to be uh, under the temptation of the three common causes of temptation in my life. The world, the things that are around us, our flesh, the appetites that come from within us, and the devil, that he's tempting us. And there's a part of his desire to draw us away from our ability to worship the Lord. And I'll tell you that that temptation is a common one that has some results to it. We're tempted to take what God has not given to us, we're tempted to steal from others. We're tempted to steal what God um, deserves from us. We're going to see this in this list of 10 very specific things that he's challenging. This list is not limited to these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There's another list that's very similar in the book of Galatians and 1 Timothy and Colossians. And uh, what's important for us to understand when we read this, you're going to look at their list of 10 things, and it's going to look very much like the list of things that would be common in America today, that would be common in Brunswick and Medina, the temptations that are around us. He says this, do not be deceived. There were some that at this time that were teaching that you can come to Christ and then live however you want because you have your get out of jail free card. You've been forgiven by Christ. In fact, uh, when, the, when the apostle Peter was teaching in the church that the, the food laws were no longer a part of the Jewish life, uh, many heard that and they thought, you know what, if God has gotten, gone away from the food laws, why would he have any difference with the laws that are a part of the Christian life? Why, why do we have to live any differently? So theologically, they're rationalizing this, and now they're in a place that literally worships sexuality, that there's a temple to Aphrodite, and there's temple prostitutes, and there's these things that are blending and mixing together worship with sensuality. And so Paul writes this to them. He says, do not be deceived. Don't be confused. Don't miss this that neither the sexually immoral, I want to unpack each of these. When he says sexually immoral, he's talking about fornication. We talked about this two weeks ago. That's any sexual activity outside of God's gift of marriage. Um, this word pornoi is in Greek is the word we get our word pornography from. And, and some of you say, well, did they have pornography back then? Well, yes, actually the earliest coins that were ever mass produced um, I've seen these coins, it's fascinating. From the very beginning, when things were able to be mass produced, pornography was a part of it. It's, a, it's, a, it's so much a part of the human mind and heart. And here, what we see is him saying, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, the next one's fascinating, nor idolaters. And, and it's funny that idolatry, we think of that as worshiping false gods or things that are not God, um, worshiping lesser things. That idolatry literally, when it's pulled apart, is image worshipers. And here, it talked amongst some sexual things, he's talking about worshiping images. And it says this then, nor adulterers. That's sexual intimacy with someone else's spouse. These, these things said, these are not a part of the Christian life. These are not what God designed for you to be. The next one, nor men who practice homosexuality. And some of you read this and you hear this and you say, 
Well, wait a second. Was that, was that common that actually in that time, when we think of Plato and Aristotle, some of the, the greatest minds of the time, historically we've been told that they practiced homosexuality. That in Roman, the Roman em- emperors, the first 14 of 15, 14 of 15 of them uh, practiced homosexuality. That this was a natural part of the, the culture at that time. And I say that word carefully, that this was just normal. And so when the Apostle Paul writes these things, he's saying something that's offensive. The Greek is very crystal clear here. In fact, it's very blunt if you study it, that it talks about the act of homosexuality. And it's not just limited to men with men, but it's a broader than just that statement. I think it applies to, to women as well. And what he's saying here is, and I want to be careful, that there are people that are tempted to do something that goes against what God's design is. And I want us to pause for a second. I want to be very careful here that that historically at times in the church that there have been people who've stood back and they've said, well, this one is worse than the other. And this one does, and this one, there's no way that a person could ever. I just want you to understand that there's a huge difference between a person who, I like this phrase, who struggles with same-sex attraction. They're attracted to, people are attracted to all kinds of things. And in our culture today, what we just say is, if you have an appetite, your job is to feed it, right? That's what we say. Are you guys awake out there? Like, that's just, that's just naturally what we say right now. And so when God's word says this, he's not picking this out as being the, the one that's appalling. And by the way, if you knew the story of people in this room, of people who you serve, this may be one of those appetites that's there. In fact, we have story after story in our church, beautiful ones of people who this was their temptation. This was their appetite. And the Lord in their life has got, taken them on a journey. And it's so interesting to me that we are never identified in Scripture as our temptations. It's just not what we're identified as. And so, so let's not allow ourselves to say this one is so gross or weird. or un, and, and then allow ourselves on this other side to imply. So, so when we talk about this, we need to be careful to remember he's talking about Christ followers and he said, I have designed you differently than this. So he's not, he's not mincing words. He's not being mean here. I think what he's saying is just simply, this is my design for my people. And so it's important to clarify when he says um, that th- this is in practice. They practice homosexuality. I just want to make a distinction between the individual that has a temptation in this area versus a person who feeds this. And the next one, hey, uh, it talks about thievery. It's pretty blunt in this. It says, uh, nor thieves. Kleptia, it's the word that you and I get the word kleptomaniac from. And um, this is stealing by stealth from Target, right? Are you guys awake out there? It doesn't say Target in there, but it's, it's taking what hasn't, that's not yours. It's stealing by stealth. It's an embezzler. It's a thief. And, and this, this list goes on. It says, nor the greedy. And I'll just remind you gently that greed, um, it may manifest itself in excessive desire for what you may legitimately have, according to Ephesians 5.5, 5, or it may be a, a desire for what you should not have. And I'll just remind you of that. Next one is, it says, nor drunkards. Um, I think often when we think of drunkards, I've shared from the pulpit that I have a grandfather. I had a grandfather that we don't know that much about the Brennan last name because 
My grandfather was a, a man who was drunk an awful lot, and uh, he died at a young age, and we just don't know that much about our history. He was what, what the script, like this says, not drunkards. Uh, literally, that word means tipsy in Greek, and, and a better way to, to describe it is to be under the influence of something. I, and I think often we think of the term alcoholic or town drunk or this is a person who's, but actually let's back that up and to say that we, we recognize that alcohol was a part of the ancient world that kept the, the water clean and we know that Jesus um, multiplied water into wine and it was wine that could intoxicate someone. It wasn't so distant from our world. They had, they had drinks that were intoxicating and I, I want to be careful to clarify, he's talking about allowing ourselves to be so impacted by that, that it allows us to be influenced by it. And so intoxication goes against what God desires for us. He says to us, he wants us to be people who are filled with the what? Spirit. Not to be drunk with wine is what he said. Now, some people read that, they're like, oh, as long as it's not wine, <laughs> But, but, but what about the drugs that are available for us in our society? What about, about marijuana and the reality of that? In our, so just because our society says that it's okay for us, doesn't mean that as a Christ follower, we should put ourselves under the influence of anything that's going to distract us from serving God. You guys get this now? And, and do you understand what we're talking about here? This isn't like this order of ranking and, oh boy, you really struggle with it. If we're honest in this room, we're impacted by probably multiple versions of this in our lives. We're tempted, some of us in this room, to, to allow ourselves to try to feed these things. And by the way, it's impacting the joy in our life. It's impacting the people who we love. It's impacting our relationships. And so when he gives this list, this isn't the list of how bad you are. It's a list of just saying to you, you do not have to feed these appetites. They don't have to define you. He goes on to talk about greed, uh, thieves, greedy, not drunkards. The next, the next one is not revilers. This is where none of you have ever said, I am a reviler. <laughs> isn't that a weird word in the, in, in the English standard version? Uh, it, it is not a term that we use regularly, but it's a really important one. A reviler is a person who uses their words to destroy, that they insult, that they use abusive language that's written, that's, in, that's spoken, and I want us to catch this. In the name of Christ, some people are doing that all of the time, and it's despicable. It goes against what God desires for us to be. So, so when we look at lists of sins and things that, that we ought to consider a part of our past, such as you were, that we use words to lift one another up. We encourage, we inspire, we don't use words to tear down, abusive words that, that take away. The next word I will use carefully because of the audience, but it says, nor swindlers. This is the word that we get the word to violate someone, to, to take something away from them. And it's, it's a blunt phrase, but to tear away something that's precious from someone else. He says, all of these things, these 10 things, a person who lives in that will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a hard statement. 
But I love what's next. It's highlighted. It's underlined in my Bible. It says, and such were some of you. Isn't that a great phrase? That's, that's who we were. That, that, that we recognize that that was a part of our life. And he's saying, why in the world would you want that to be a part of your life now as a Christ follower? Why, why would you choose to take what God has not given you? And so for, for some of us, just the qualifier here is be careful about condemning others' temptations and ignoring your own. Are we good at that? That it's so easy to see someone else and to call their thing gross and then to look at our own lives and to justify some of these other things. So be careful about that. It's easy to consider others something dif different than ours. And I just love this phrase. God wants us to come to him as we are, but his desire is not for us to stay as we are. We were, what we were is not who we are. We don't, we're not defined by our appetites. Hey, praise the Lord, we can change. Amen. Isn't that great? Amen. Like that we can change, we can get better that we can grow in these areas. And so I, I just love the second point this morning because I wrote it, just kidding. Um, the, through, through the gospel, we can have a new start. Through the gospel, you and I can have a new life. We can have a new start. It says this in, in chapter, chapter six, verse 11, and the, the, the second part of this, it says, but you were washed. This refers to the spiritual, this is just such a basic idea. You were washed, you were sanctified. This means you were literally set apart for God's work. You were justified, you were legally declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God, amen. What a great phrase. You understand what he's saying there is, you were bought with a price. You've been cleansed. It's so fun that tonight we get to go to Beulah Beach and we get to see people baptized. And the image of the, the, the idea that we, we follow the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's symbolic of our new life that we have in Christ. It's not about washing clean, but the idea of, of God through his Holy Spirit cleansing us is pretty awesome, isn't it? That, that the legal term, justified, just as if I'd never sinned, that I, I, am, I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's awesome. You are sanctified. You're set apart. God's making you more and more like Jesus. So, so what he's saying is you guys don't have to live that way anymore. That, that appetite pursuing, attempting to feed, taking what hasn't been given you, living in those temptations. It's just not your life. It's not who you are. It's not that you're better than that. It's that I've created something more inside of you that you don't have to be a slave to that. And so temptation is common, but through the work of Christ, what we have is a victory over this. So we're no longer a slave to our appetites. In fact, God tells us that he's going to give us an alternate solution. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. If you want to keep your, your hand here in this passage and turn back to chapter 10, I want you to hear these words. He says, no temptation. I read this earlier, but I want us to keep going. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I want, I want to make sure that we understand this. So when you have appetites, when you have desires, when you have weird thoughts that go through your mind at Target, like your, your friend Sean does, that, that those things are just comp. This, this is what it means to be a human in the broken world that we live in. When we're in heaven, we're not going to have those temptations. I'm so grateful for that. 
But, but here, what he's saying is, while you have these temptations, it says this, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it through his Holy Spirit. He wants to help us through this process. We don't have to give in to any of these things, but I'll also challenge you. I've, I've spent a lifetime of pastoral ministry, having people say to me, well, I had to, I had to give it. Well, well, what were the 10 steps that you went through to get yourself in a position where you couldn't say no? <laughs> what were the 10 things that you did to put yourself in a position where you say, I don't want to eat that, but you have it sitting at the table right in front of you. You guys understand what I'm saying? That when he says this about temptation, he's saying, God's going to give us a way out. The Holy Spirit cares, but God, we don't have to sin but God has provided for us a way out. We have to be careful about putting ourselves. Later, it's going to talk about fleeing sexual immorality in particular. In other words, we don't, we don't need to, to try to walk right up to the line and, and, and make our decisions right up to. He says, stay away. From, don't even put yourself in a position where you can fail. Do you understand that that's an act of strength, not an act of weakness? Do you understand that? To, to say, I, I can't put myself in that position. Why? Because I know if I do, I'm going to be tempted to do something that goes against my, my vows, my commitments, the, the things that are precious to me. I, I can't do that. It goes against, remember the three motivators. And I want to worship my God. I, I want to get this right. I think he has a better, better way for me. That his spirit is indwelling in my life. And, and I want to worship him, not these things that are empty appetites. I just trust him that he has my best in mind. So, so what's helpful for us is that when we read this, this is so great. I, I have files in my office of, of all 10 of those things that we talked about, of people who've been forgiven and set free. Some of them amazing. We talk about some of these sins. Some of them, people who said, I thought that this was the most important thing about me. I was defined by this. Some of you in this room, some of you moms and dads, like these, these sins that we would consider so heavy and yet the Lord has set us free. In fact, every person who has a testimony of, of becoming a Christ follower in their life has some version of that story. I went from death to life. I'm a new creation. Isn't that incredible? And, and so it's not just one story of victory, but it's, it's that the Lord has provided us a story of overcoming this. So yes, we came as we were, but we did not stay as we were. Now, what's fascinating in the, the early church in Corinth, there was a, a reality that they were going through that some people were looking at their appetites and they were saying, I heard this, I was having breakfast with a, a college friend of mine this last week and uh, in the background, this song by Paul McCartney came on and, and these are the words. He says, we can do what we want. We can live as we choose. You see, there's no guarantee we've got nothing to lose. That's the lyrics of the song. And I, I want to clarify with you that that is pretty common, the viewpoint of, of the culture that you and I live in, right? Like that this, this summarizes, you know, the, the, the you only live once mindset or eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we may die, right? It's a, but, but this is so um, directly against our understanding of what Paul's teaching here. But in the church in Corinth, they had their own slogans that were like this. One of their slogans that they said was, all things are lawful for me. That there, there's this phrase that they'd say that I think it was probably because of their theological understanding of the work of Christ that they're basically saying, we can do whatever we want. I think they may have thought about the fact that we are spiritual people 
then in that process, they were trying to distinguish our physical bodies from our spiritual bodies and to be able to say, well, do what you want with the stomach, but understand that God is spiritual. It's all going to burn up anyway. So, so just live uh, high-minded, but you can do whatever you want with your physical body. The Apostle Paul's response back is quite interesting. They say, all things are lawful for me. Boy, people say that in the world we live in, even in the church. But instead he says, but not all things are helpful. <laughs> that, that not all of these things are actually contributing to your joy and provide what God wants for you. They say, all things are lawful for me, but I want you not, I will not be dominated by anything. So, so now we, we move into this term dominated. It's a fascinating phrase. It talks about being addicted. That it, that it becomes so much a part of your life. Remember that ever-increasing desire for an ever-decreasing pleasure that ultimately it steals away the freedom of victory. I love the way that Erdman puts it in his commentary. He says, the reasonable use of my liberty as a Christ follower cannot go to the length of involvement involving my own loss of it. Do you understand what he's saying? Like I, I can't just give in to these appetites in such a way that I'm, I become addicted to them. He says, I will not be dominated by anything. Another one of their slogans, I hinted at this earlier, I think it was a, based on the food laws and the shifting of the food laws. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for the food. But Paul, and then they would say, and God will destroy both, uh, one and the other. And so it's eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> now, this is not outside of the church. This is what was being taught. This is the deception that people were buying into. Um, this is the philosophy that people were attending this church in Corinth based on come as you are and stay as you are, right? But remind, I just remind you gently, feeding your appetites doesn't make them go away. Addiction makes root and it takes root in our lives when we stop fighting and coexisting with sin. And some of you in the room today are looking at this whole thing. And one of the questions that's burning in your mind is when you think of these appetites, the question comes to mind is why would God give me an appetite that he's not made a way for me to satisfy that appetite? And I think it's really the wrong question. I think it's an important one, but it's the wrong question because God is not the one who is tempting you. That, that we are tempted always by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so when we say, why would God do this to me? I think we're blaming the wrong tempter in our lives. That the thief wants to steal, to kill, and to devour. God is not tempting you. But instead, what we understand, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, is that his desire is for us to be satisfied completely in him. In fact, the third point this morning is this. We were built to worship, and when we worship anything but God, it opens us up to devastation. It's fascinating in the next few verses. It's going to shift this, the, the topic to worship, and it's going to talk about ways that people actually worship sexuality. And, and in a sex-saturated society like they were in, for, in Corinth and the way we are today, you're going to see that there were people who had chosen to worship, steal worship from God and to worship lesser things. It says this in verse 13 of the second part of it. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. I love this phrase by John Piper. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What a great phrase, right? Saying God's sufficient for us, that godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment is uncommon. It's a secret in these days, but we were made for something more. 
Verse, verse um, 18 or 15, it goes on to say this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Uh, in, in the Greek, when he says this, never. It's may it not happen. There's an exclamation point. This isn't who we are. We're better than this. So yes, there were cult practices where worship was intermingled together with prostitution and a temple to a goddess. And you just hear these stories. And, and what had happened is that it had permeated the church. It started as a part of those who became Christ followers. And then it stayed a part of their lives. And he goes on to say this, that some worship their sexuality. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So now he gives us the, the ways for victory in this area. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. There's a complexity to this phrase, and we'll unpack that a little bit more next week. But, but I think it's important for us to understand. He's not saying that sexual sin is worse than other sins. He's saying that it carries with it much, uh, many more natural consequences. And God often allows us to deal with the natural consequences of the sin that we allow in our lives. Warren Wearsby puts this um, powerfully. He says, sex outside of the marriage relationship is like a man robbing a bank. He gets something, but it's not his, and he will one day pay for it. Sex within marriage can be like a person putting money into a bank. There is safety, security, and he will collect dividends on that. Sex within marriage can build a relationship that brings joys in the future. But sex apart from marriage has a way of weakening future relationships. Isn't that profound? Debits and, and investment and understanding this, that, that this is seductive. Sexual temptation is very seductive. In fact, um, there's, a, there's a recognition of how seductive it is when he says, flee from it, run, run away from it. Don't play around with it. And what we recognize is that Satan always offers cheap, non-satisfying substitutes for God's intimate and personal, his best for us. Do you guys agree with that? Do you, do you understand that this challenge that he's giving us is, is, is he's saying, you were that. that. That's who you were. And I, and I want to speak to those of you that, that, are, that are caught up in that, that that's your story. I want to remind you that through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the work of the cross, that we can be a new creation through the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be born again. For those of us who are Christ followers, who have accepted Christ in our life, the expectation is that we make deliberate decisions, that we actively pursue the things that, that allow God to be worshiped in our life, to not steal away from him the things that rip away our joy and the desire that he has for us to be satisfied in him. Verse 19 says this, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. That's the gospel, right? We were bought, the, the cross, the work of Jesus, this was not a cheap sacrifice, but it, the Lamb of God came to, to be the perfect sacrifice, to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's where we find our hope 
And so this isn't about us being holier than, it's not about our list being cleaner than, so it's, it's actually about us saying, Lord, you're my satisfaction, I trust you. And I celebrate, brothers and sisters, this morning that victory, regardless of what you've been told in your life, victory is possible. I love that in preparation for this morning, several of you have shared stories in your own life of victory over addiction, victory over systematic sin that was a pattern in your life, family members, friends, that, that God can allow us to be new. And I'll just remind you, in Christ, he just expects us to, to behave like it. We've been clothed in his righteousness. We need to accept that every appetite that we have does not necessarily need to be fed. Uh, that cuts against the rules of our culture. Not every appetite that I have needs to be fed. In fact, in Ephesians 4, it talks about putting off our old self, with, which belongs to our former manner, our old way of life, and its deceitful desires. And it says that we should be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on a new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Um, the last, the last um, point in that is that we need to know when to flee. I had a wonderful friend in Southern California that um, he is a, a firefighter, but he's the kind that goes into the really big fires. They fly them in and they drop them off. And um, they are, he has stories that are amazing. Um, but one of the things that he said as a professional firefighter, um, and he's a dad who has wonderful kids and he, he wants to be around for his kids. Uh, he wants to see them grow old some days. He said, Sean, you know, one of the most important things about the job is to know when you fight and, and to know when to run away, you know? And I think that, that that's a major portion of this passage of Scripture is that, that for, for some of us, we need to recognize our weakness by an act of strength to be able to say, yeah, that's not a place for me. I can't go there. That's, that's not a healthy relationship for me to nurture. There's a temptation that's associated with that. And I, and I want to just remind you in this passage of Scripture that we've studied, this is a beautiful passage of Scripture because at its heart, it says that, that the grace of God can set us free. We're not defined by our appetites. We're not defined by our sins. But there's also a reminder in this process that he expects for us to live differently than the world that is around us. He's not telling us to rank our sins based on what they struggle with versus what we struggle with. But what he's saying is he expects us to be satisfied in him. He expects us to be victorious. So I want to invite the worship team to come forward. They're going to sing an awesome song that is intended to be uh, reflective for us, for us to search our hearts. And I'm just going to challenge you uh, in the same way that I um, am honest with myself about, obviously I'm sharing with you my, my, uh, my target temptation because it's an easy one to share with you guys. But um, there's others that are temptations in my life that I have to constantly be deliberate about putting boundaries up in my life, allowing myself to recognize my weakness through strength, and, and I want to ask you to search your heart in this area. If you're not a believer, today's an awesome day for you to understand that you were bought with a price <laughs> and that he, he loved you so much to send his son to seek and to save that which was lost. It's beautiful truth. For those of us who are Christ followers, I want to challenge you. If you've allowed yourself to be comfortable with sin in your life, any of these that are on the list or others, uh, today's a great day for you to say that I, I want to take a step towards being healthy. I want to take a step towards obedience in the Lord. I want to recognize the victory that he's offered for me. You are no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness 
for his name's sake. Lord, we love you. And as, I, um, as I've studied this passage, I realize that we don't preach on it very much because it's complex. It's hard. There's, there's words that are in here that are difficult to read, especially in our culture. Um, but Lord, I just thank you that as I read these words, every one of those 10, I can think of vivid stories, some of them my own story, where I've seen you take a person who was that and now that I've seen on all 10 of these people who are now living in the fullness of the knowledge of you and that they're filled no longer with those things that distract away from your glory, uh, but instead that they're able to just live in the fullness of your provision for them, that your grace is sufficient, your power is made perfect in your, our weakness and that you're good and that you came so that we do not have to be a slave to sin. Uh, we love you. We thank you for this morning. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray that they'd have received this message in the spirit that it was intended to be an exhortation and also an, a gift of encouragement. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.